the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. And thank you for joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the 20th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Great day today because it's a Kersenow day. Peter Kersenow will, will be joining me in about one hour. And we are going to be talking about a whole host of issues, not the least of which will be crazy Uncle Bernie's criminal justice reform. Pete, of course, is an attorney. We're going to get his thoughts on that, even though he's not necessarily a criminal attorney. He's a labor attorney. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, Bernie Sanders and his insane criminal justice reform, all geared at one thing, pandering for the minority vote. That is exactly what it is, the same as it is for Elizabeth Warren, the same as it is for Kamala Harris, the same as it is for Cory Booker and the other front runners in the uh, Democratic cesspool of candidates. So Peter will be joining us to talk about that. And more. I want to start today with a follow-up on yesterday, because after we uh, essentially destroyed, myself and a couple of guests, uh, the ridiculous arguments being made by Sharia Tlaib and Jihad Omar in their, I want to go see Israel, but I'm not calling it Israel because I don't recognize it as a true nation, or believe that it has a right to exist. I want to go see Palestine, and they better let me into Israel so that I can be in Palestine. The entire dog and pony show should have come to an end over the weekend. Instead, Democrats, as I told you on yesterday's show, are now considering proposals to uh, uh, vote to issue a vote of no confidence for the Israeli envoy to the United States and vice versa. And yesterday, to make matters worse... Sharia Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, Jihad Omar, hold a press conference. Two members of the squids standing there with phony crocodile tears talking about how hurt they were that they didn't get to go to a nation that they despise. 
And of course, I am talking about a nation that they really would like to see destroyed. And we know this because, A, they support Hamas, which routinely attacks and tries to destroy Israel. And, B, they support the BDS movement, the Boycott, Divest, and Sanction Israel movement, which is indeed aimed at the destruction and the erasure of Israel from world maps. All right? So uh, we know the story. So they took this uh, time yesterday to proclaim their innocence and, and to condemn Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu and the nation of Israel as a whole for not allowing them to go to Israel because they are duly elected United States representatives. Israel is an ally. They are compelled to accept them. Here's a portion. Uh, hold on a second. Sorry about that one here. I want you to hear uh, Ilhan Omar. Come on, Jihad. Come on, Jihad, you can do this. We're here to highlight the human costs of the occupation and travel restrictions on Palestinians and others. As many of you know, I had planned to travel to Israel and Palestine to hear from individuals on the ground about the conflict so that I could be more informed as a member of Congress and as a member on the Foreign Affairs Committee. This Muslim woman went what wanted to go to Israel to bash Israel. She she already has her mind made up. She's pro-Palestinian. She is anti-Israel's right to exist. She is anti-Semitic. She is anti-Jew. President Trump was correct when he pointed out that the two of them hate Israel and hate Jews. She had her mind made up before she ever got there to, quote, gather information from people underground. No, she was not trying to do that. She was there, again, to rail against the terrible treatment, as she sees it, of Palestinians by Israel, by way of travel restrictions and more. Here's a little bit more from Jihad. Contrary to many media reports and the statements of the Israeli Prime Minister, I plan to meet directly with members of the Knesset and Israeli security, along with Palestinian civil society groups, former IDF soldiers, Israel, Palestine, and international organizations, and United Nations officials. Okay, let's unpack some of that. Because it's extraordinarily important. First of all, the word is Israel. It's not a three-syllable word. Second of all, and more importantly, Jihad Omar, in true jihad fashion, is a liar. She, One might say that she is practicing taqiyya, which is essentially a Muslim uh, being ordered to lie in order to advance the cause of Islam or Islamism. And that's a strange phrasing, but Islamists are a little bit different than just plain Muslims. She is an Islamist. She is a political Muslim, in addition to being a religious one. So at any rate, what she just said needs to be pointed out. It needs to be unpacked. She said that she was going to Israel in part to meet with Israeli security in the form of uh, the Knesset. But the problem is, she literally is contradicting her own travel itinerary. The full schedule published by Jihad Omar's office was released to the press before she was going to go. And there is not one single meeting scheduled with members of the Knesset or uh, Israeli security officials. Not one. Everybody she was going there to meet with was, was essentially in league with her in planning to bash Israel, 
to condemn Israel for what they will call uh, uh, um, civil rights or human rights violations against Palestinians, unfair restrictions and limitations against Palestinians, and essentially that Israel doesn't deserve to exist. She had no travel plans or uh, uh, scheduled whatsoever, or meeting plans, rather, scheduled to talk to uh, members of the Netanyahu government. None. She was there to undermine the Israeli government. Not to discuss terms with them or discuss security with them, which is why they booted her, which is why they said you can't come at all. The decision to ban me and my colleagues... The first, my colleague, the first two Muslim American women elected to Congress. Nice try. This has nothing to do with your race or your religion, you lying demon rat. This has everything to do with you supporting BDS. You support the destruction of Israel. And it's not Israel. It's Israel. And that's why you were banned from it. Stop playing the race card. Stop playing the Islamophobia card. It does not fly. It's nothing less than an attempt by an ally of the United States to suppress our ability to do our jobs as elected officials. She stood up there, did uh, uh, Jihad Omar and Sharia Tlaib, the two of them, they stood up there talking about how Israel is an ally of the United States. And as such, they should be compelled, forced, to open their doors to all representatives of the United States. The problem is Israel is only an ally of the United States. It is not an ally of BDS supporters masquerading as representatives of the United States, masquerading as allies of Israel. And they are allowed to make that determination, especially when you don't even hide it. Jihad and Sharia each introduced resolutions to the House of Representatives in support of boycott, divest, and sanction of Israel. It's not like they're, they're undermining things, or you know they're working underground, rather. They're out in the open about their support of BDS and their disdain for and their hatred for Israel. So why do you stand there and call yourself because you represent the United States and the United States is an ally of Israel? You're calling yourselves an ally of Israel. You're not. You're using that as cover. And then, of course, there's Sharia Tlaib. Sharia who said, oh, I want to go see my gammy. Oh, Benjamin Netanyahu won't let me go see my gammy. My gammy's 90 years old. I don't know how much time she has left. They won't let me go to Israel to see her. Oh, this isn't fair. Until, of course, Israel got word. Said she wants to see her gammy. Israel said, fine, you can come. You're welcome. Come. Go see your gammy. And they call her city. Palestinian word, I suppose. Come see your city, your gammy, whatever it is. Just don't engage in boycott, divest, and sanction propaganda while you're here. Well, if you're going to be that way about it, if I can't engage in anti-Israel propaganda while I'm visiting my gammy in Israel, well, then I'm not coming at all. 
And then she turns to the microphone to declare that she is being banned by Israel uh, because of uh, because of her her ethnicity. Here's a little bit of Sharia on the stage. Earlier this month, in fact, 71 other members of Congress traveled to Israel seemingly without incident. What is not common occurrence is members of Congress being barred from entering a country on these fact-finding missions unless they agree to strict set of rules curtailing their rights or being required to submit their itineraries for stop-by-stop pre-approval. Yeah. Uh, why did 71 other members of Congress go to Israel without incident? Let's ponder that for a moment. Hmm. That's a head-scratcher. Let's noodle on this. Could it be because, oh, I don't know, 71 other members of Congress are not BDS supporters? Hmm. Let's see if we can figure that out. There's, we're talking about 73 total people. 71 are not supporters of BDS. Two are. 71 are permitted to go in. Two are not. What is the difference between them? Oh, I get it. We're Muslims. We're women of color. No, because there are plenty of people of color and plenty, well, I don't know about plenty of Muslims, but there are plenty of Muslims living in Israel, by the way, including apparently your city. The difference between you and the 71 others who went without issue are the fa- uh, is the fact that they are not members of BDS. They do not plan to go to Israel and openly undermine Israel, openly f- uh, call for and propagandize against uh, Israel's existence. So this story has got to be told, and it's got to be told correctly. And the crocodile tears from Sharia Tlaib yesterday, while Ilhan was speaking about the difficulties in Israel, uh, it, it's it's just about a bridge too far, as far as I'm concerned. All right, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. California is going to get more cops killed. That story coming up on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Imagine doing one thing that gives you an entirely different perspective about your place in the world. Think it would be worth it? Dennis Prager here inviting you to join me for a 10-day Stand with Israel tour. A tour through the land of Israel in December 2019. Come with me to get first-hand insight into Israel's fascinating past and promising future. Walk the ancient temple steps, sail on the Sea of Galilee, and so many more unforgettable moments. Return home inspired, renewed, and empowered if you've ever dreamed of Seeing Israel, this is your opportunity with expert guides and important lectures at key sites. We'll be together in the comfort and safety of luxurious accommodations the whole time. Join me for a life-changing adventure to give you a renewed sense of purpose. Don't wait to make the trip of a lifetime. For more details and to book your trip, go now to whkradio.com. That's whkradio.com. All right, it's uh, 9.24 now. I'm going to actually pivot away from the California police story that I was about to start with. I'll save that for after the bottom of the hour news. I want to follow up on one of yesterday's topics, however, and we were talking at length yesterday about recession. And uh, a lot of uh, economic models are saying that a recession is coming, and more importantly, Democrats in both government and in the media 
are calling for it. They are hoping for it. They are praying for it. Quite frankly, you've heard Bill Maher on a number of occasions uh, talking about how he wants to see a recession happen so that they can get rid of Donald Trump. Well, Stephanie Rule, MSNBC liberal hostess, um, she was on with you, by the way, this morning, and I did not catch the entirety of the conversation. I don't think she specifically called for a recession and said it would be good to have one in that interview. But she did say that on television. To put this into perspective, uh, this is uh, Stephanie Rule on MSNBC yesterday, and she absolutely thinks that a recession not only should is coming, but one that should come. She wants one. It's perfectly okay. As, of course, the moment one hits, she will blame, like the rest of the hacks on MSNBC, Donald Trump's policies for bringing it about. Listen to this. Put it into perspective. Is the president right when he says a recession's not on the way? He is not right, but a recession is okay. A recession is a normal part of economic activity. We see them upturns and downturn. A recession doesn't mean it's a crisis. But if you're a sitting president, you don't necessarily want a recession on your watch. You want people feeling good. But seeing that we have been in economic expansion for the better part of 10 years, it's about time we get a recession. But the fact that Hmm. the Fed has already cut rates to try to extend this economic expansion, you think that would breathe more life into it. And just remember, one of the reasons the economy has extended in positive growth for this long is the massive corporate tax cut that the president gave us a year and a half ago. He said that would result in GDP boom in business investment, three, four, five percent growth. We're at 2.1 percent. That's the average. So when the president says this is the best economy ever, it's not. And if we did face a recession, it would be normal, and it would be okay. All right, let's unpack some of that now. Number one, the president is prone to hyperbole. It is not the very best ever. It's not the very best we have ever done. But it is exceedingly better than what it was during the eight years of the Obama quote-unquote economic expansion. Because we did hit 4% for crying out loud. We haven't done it. That's not the average, obviously. But we have seen that kind of growth. And doing it while cutting unemployment rates and raising wages. Median wages are the highest they have been in over 10 years. They are rising at a rate faster than they have in those 10 years. Wages are up. Unemployment is down. Companies are still hiring and expanding, as she complained about the, quote, corporate, uh, the massive corporate tax cut the president gave us a year and a half ago. It was a, it was a, an across the board tax cut for all income levels. And some 80% of Americans saved a bunch of money on their taxes. And yes, businesses saved a bunch of money on taxes too, which they then used to expand their businesses and hire more workers, and get more people on payrolls and paying into the tax uh, fund as well. So, uh, But the important part of that story is that Stephanie Rule is trying to make it sound like it's okay if recession comes. It's okay. Recession doesn't have to mean a disaster. It doesn't have to mean it's a crisis. It's a normal part of economic activity. I will say this. It's true. Recession is a part of any economic cycle, just like expansion and growth is a part of an economic cycle. You don't need a degree from, I don't know, let's think of a prestigious university when it comes to economics. Boston University. Yeah, that's a dig at uh, Alexandria Damasio-Cortez. You don't have to have a degree in economics from Boston University to understand that. That, yes, recessions are a natural part of uh, the, the cycle. But 
Not the type of, first of all, not the type of recession that we had at the end of 2007, 2008, which was brought on and worsened by the Community Reinvestment Act and the banking crisis. That's a little bit different. That's not a natural uh, recession. That great recession was completely unnatural. It was, again, forced by bad policy, uh, such as the CRA. If we do go into recession now after, she says, 10-plus years of economic growth and expansion, it would be more of a natural part of the cycle. However, that's not how they're going to spin it on her network. If there was to be a recession, MSNBC, CNN, and the rest of them would join Bill Maher in saying, Aha! We were growing and doing well under Barack Obama. Then Donald Trump took over, rode the Obama coattails for a couple of years, and then guided us into recession. We have to get rid of him and bring a Democrat on board in 2020. We need somebody to pilot us into the age of socialism so that we can't fall into that economic recession that is part of the capitalist cycle. Socialism will be recession-proof. The government will control all means of distribution. The government will collect. That's what we do. We'll be collectivists, and we will distribute to make sure that everybody is always taken care of. And anybody and everybody who is buying the nonsense of Bernie Sanders, Alexandra Damasio-Cortez, Elizabeth Warren, etc., etc., are going to make hay with this. Make no mistake about it. This is exactly what their goal is. First, calm everybody down. Let them know that a recession is okay. It's not a big deal, like Stephanie Rule tried to do. And then, as soon as it hits, say, oh, my God, look what Donald Trump did to you. He led you into recession. His tariffs led you into recession. Don't buy it. Do not buy the lie. 216-901-0945, 888-281-1110. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. You want to get on the air to talk about any of these stories and the cop story I've got coming up in California. That's right, Governor Gavin Newsom in uh, California just signed a bill to kill, kill cops. Legitimately, seriously, signed a bill that will kill more cops in California. I'll tell you that story. And if you want to get in, this next half hour is a good time to do it because Kirsten now joins me at ten oh five right here on AM fourteen twenty. The News, opinion, insight. This is AM 14. It's 9.36. Thanks for joining us once again for the Bob France Authority. Phone lines are open this half hour. You're going to be uh, jammed up a little bit come 10 at uh, 10.05. Peter Kirsten will be joining me, and we have a lot of work to do together. So if you want to get in, please do it now, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. That will get you here as well. So what am I talking about? Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, wants to kill cops. It's a little bit over the top, isn't it, Bob? Uh, It would be if it weren't true. Um, but sadly, it is true. Gavin Newsom signed, Newsom signed a bill uh, put forth by the General Assembly of California essentially telling cops, you're not allowed to shoot unless you're fired at. Now, it doesn't say that specifically. All right? It doesn't say that specifically. You can't fire unless you're fired at. But it has tightened the rules 
for which police officers may deploy deadly force to the point where literally, unless you're being shot at, you are going to be uh, uh, you are going to be uh, uh, found guilty, or you are going to be reprimanded or disciplined or whatever if you use lethal force first. From the USA Today. California has adopted one of the nation's strictest laws regarding police use of force, hoping it will deter shootings by law enforcement agents. I I could just stop the story right there. Hoping it will deter shootings by cops. Problem is, nobody passed a new strict set of laws against criminals saying, you don't get to shoot at cops. (laughs) They're not going to be playing by these BS rules. And in fact, now that they know because it's been publicized and Gavin Newsom had this big signing ceremony and he held the the paper up and smiled and cheered and it was almost like the mayor of Philadelphia, uh, Kenny, uh, doing his little dance. We're a sanctuary city. We're a sanctuary city. And these people are lunatics. These people are not normal. They're celebrating things. They're going to get people killed. And that's exactly what Newsom did. Assembly Bill 392 changes the standard for police officers' justified use of deadly force from instances when it's reasonable to when it's necessary. In other words, police officers who used to be able to use deadly force in situations where either their or the public safety was in jeopardy, if it was reasonable for them to conclude uh, such jeopardy, They can use deadly force. Now, reasonable is out the window and necessary is in. The obvious problem is, who gets to determine necessary? The police officer? Nope. Judges. Commissions. What California has done is told cops, you pull the trigger, we'll decide later whether or not it was necessary. Not reasonable, but absolutely necessary. Never mind the fact that we won't be facing a a dangerous criminal who's reaching into his pocket to pull out what might be a gun, what might be a big lighter, what might be a pack of gum. We don't know. We won't be in that moment. You will be. You have to decide in less than a tenth of a second whether it's necessary to fire. We get to sit in an air-conditioned room in a comfortable padded leather chair, and we get to look at everything, taking our good sweet time over coffee and Danish, maybe take a lunch break if we want, come back later. We'll decide at our leisure in the comfort of our office buildings, whether or not it was necessary for you to shoot. And if we decide not, you're going to trial. This is going to kill cops. Anyway, any other way to say this? This is going to kill cops. The law redefines when police can resort to deadly force based on the totality of the circumstances and encourages the use of de-escalation techniques and crisis intervention methods. We are doing something today, said Newsom, that stretches the boundary of possibility and sends a message to people all across this country that they can do more and they can do better to meet this moment. 
He stood. Did Gavin Newsom, the liberal, pathetic, demon rat governor of California, alongside family members of people killed by cops. I side with you. It's terrible that these police officers shot your criminal loved ones. I'm with you guys. Modifications to the previous law advocated by activist groups like Black Lives Matter were promoted, or excuse me, were prompted by officer-involved shootings such as the March 2018 killing of Stefan Clark, an unarmed black man gunned down outside of his grandparents' house in the state capital of Sacramento when police mistook his cell phone for a firearm. Should we point out that the investigations into that shooting cleared the officers? Why? Because Stefan Clark made them chase him, then didn't show his hands when he was supposed to. Then jammed his hand into his pocket, and a cop shouldn't have to wait for the 9mm to be pulled out of it before he protects himself. The cops were cleared, as they should have been. All Gavin Newsom, the governor of California... And the state assembly, the liberal state assembly of California did yesterday, was embolden criminals. Cops ain't going to shoot. You don't have to comply. Cops have their hands tied now. California's Democrat politicians just made them keep their weapons holstered. You can get away now. He's not going to fire. They're going to they're going to hang him if they do. Not literally, but but their careers. That's the message they just sent to criminals yesterday. The measure by Democratic Assemblywoman shocking Shirley Weber of San Diego, which initially met fierce resistance from law enforcement organizations, wonder why, made it through the state legislature with bipartisan support after, after it was amended to address police concerns. The law still contains the strongest language of any state, according to the ACLU, which proposed the bill and negotiated the changes. Weber said the law, quote, changes the culture of policing in California. It sure does. It eliminates policing in California, and it gets cops shot. It is linked to a pending Senate bill requiring that officers be trained in de-escalating confrontations and finding alternatives to using lethal force. I'm going to pause there again to say this. What do they think cops are doing now? I, I know so many cops, and I can promise you, all of them, to a man, will tell you, we always try to de-escalate. The last thing we want is an officer-involved shooting. It turns your life upside down. Newsom and these liberal Democrats in California are trying to make it sound as though what cops do is shoot first and then decide you know, what the questions are later. They de-escalate at every opportunity. They try to talk somebody into keeping their hands where they can be seen. They try to talk them into uh, getting down on the ground comfortably so they don't have to be tackled that way they try to talk them out of running they try to talk them out of fighting they try to talk them out of harming somebody they always try to de-escalate with words 
It's only when the suspect, the criminal, will not comply and puts potentially, whether it's a gun in the, again, this is the issue, gun in the pocket or pack of gum. I don't know. Gun or cell phone. I don't know. All I do know is that I told you I need to see your hands. Keep them where they can be seen. Do not reach into your pocket. Do not reach behind your back. And I don't have to wait to see what you are pulling out of that pocket because all it takes is a tenth of a second for that suspect to pull a weapon and fire it. And maybe not even pull it out of their pocket of their hoodie. Maybe fire through it. California cops can't. Now California cops, rather, uh, they cannot defend themselves against that kind of a threat. Essentially, what this new law does, it says you have to be fired upon before you can fire. That's the only way it will be, quote-unquote, necessary, rather than the old standard of reasonable. Newsom's signature on the new California law comes on the same day as New York Police Department announcing the firing of Daniel Pant- uh, Pantaleo. The officer who uh, uh, helped take down Eric Garner with a lateral vascular neck restraint that was incorrectly judged to be a chokehold that led to Eric Garner's death in July of 2014. Garner's repeated cries of, I can't breathe, as he gasped for air, became a rallying cry in the movement against police brutality. Number one, he couldn't breathe because he was 400 pounds of goo. And because he had a heart condition, and because he had asthma, which is what killed him. Asthma. He couldn't breathe because he because he was on his stomach, and the only reason he was on his stomach is because he wouldn't allow himself to be handcuffed. That's it. One police brutality. If you won't surrender peacefully, you are taken to the ground. That's the normal order of things when it comes to police work. If you won't comply and allow yourself to be cuffed standing, they will take you to the ground and cuff you forcefully. And when you're 400 pounds, it's pretty hard to take somebody to the ground. Unless what? Unless you can somehow, some way, make that person unable to stand up. Yeah, I suppose you could beat him in the legs with, with batons, which would be called police brutality to force him to the ground. Or maybe... You can apply a lateral vascular neck restraint to help cut off the flow of blood to the suspect's head till he becomes dizzy and woozy and falls to the ground. That's what the officer was trying to do. It wasn't choking. It was trying to, because choking would indicate trying to cut off his ability to breathe. His ability to breathe was not impacted by a chokehold. It was impacted by his 400 pounds and his asthma. New York Police Department um, union chief, by the way, is livid that Pantaleo was fired yesterday. The commissioner was cringing in fear, said the uh, uh, the uh, police uh, union head. Commissioner James O'Neill's decision to fire the officer who placed Garner in the quote-unquote chokehold moments before his death in the New York City street drew outrage money from the police union and a guarded thank you from one of Garner's children. Officer Daniel Pantaleo is accused of placing a banned chokehold on Garner while arresting him outside of a Staten Island convenience store in 2014. Garner's repeated cries of, I can't breathe, blah, blah, blah. I can tell you 
O'Neill said, the commissioner, that had I been an officer Pantaleo's situation, I may have made similar mistakes, but none of that can take back none of us can take back our decisions, particularly when they result in the death of another human being. I will again always fight that characterization. His arrest didn't lead to his death. His weight and his heart and asthma conditions led to his death. If that same exact move is applied on somebody who's 6'1 and 195, they're alive right now. Pantaleo gets no pension but will be repaid whatever he put into the fund. He said Police Union President Patrick Lynch expressed outrage at O'Neill's decision describing Pantaleo as an exemplary officer. He accused the commissioner of cringing in fear of anti-police activists and leaving the department rudderless and frozen by a lack of leadership. He has chosen politics and his own self-interest over the police officers that he claims to lead, Lynch said. He's right. He's 100% right. And this ongoing attack on police officers and their ability to do their jobs is really only getting worse. I had hoped, (coughs) excuse me, I had hoped that an end to the Obama presidency would lead to the restoration of respect for law enforcement officers. And President Trump has done what he can, but it's not enough because the groundwork has been laid. The anti-cop atmosphere that was fostered and watered and, and cared for and tendered and attended and nurtured under Barack Obama has, has found its way into the culture. And cops now are more the enemy than they have ever been, other than for the eight years of Obama himself. But the point is, it's, it's very, very hard to unring a bell. And when the bell has been rung, and the announcement, the proclamation has been made, that police officers are the enemy, police officers are the criminals, police officers are quick to use deadly force, quick to use excessive force, because cops are bad, cops are pigs, as Colin Kaepernick would say, etc. When that has, has been the proclamation, you, it's hard to unring that bell. How bad is it? Real fast, let me go from the California story to the New York story to the Philadelphia story. You saw what happened last weekend, right? Suspect shot six cops and then held two hostages before eventually a negotiation ended the standoff with an arrest, not with the killing of the suspect, who had shot six cops, mind you. What did the people in Philadelphia do? What did they do last weekend? They held a rally. Not in support of the police officers who were shot, but in support of the killer, the shooter. Literally. Organizers put together a show of support for Maurice Hill, who finally surrendered to police after a seven-hour standoff. They wanted to support him. They taunted the cops who were being shot at. They threw stuff at them. And then they're holding a, a, a rally for the shooter, showing support for him. I, I don't know what we've created. But I will be honest with you, I don't know how we survive it. Unless something changes, and it changes fast. California wants cops to get shot at. Philadelphia celebrates cops who are shot. And in New York, they fire police officers 
for doing their jobs. Something has got to give. Back after this. All right, 9.57, time for a couple of phone calls before the top of the hour. TJ wants to get in. Go ahead, TJ. Yeah, you know, Bob, this opens up old wounds with this governor. You know, this isn't much different than the Vietnam War in the beginning. It was the Democrats that started that war and sent the young boys there. When they got there, they were told, you can't fire until you're fired upon first. That didn't work at all. You know, they eventually changed it because it was such a disaster. And, you know, just like the Vietnam War... The police now have become demonized, and the criminals are being praised, just like our enemy was being praised back then, and the Vietnam veteran was being demonized by who? The Democrats. It just goes on and on and on with these people. They make me sick to my stomach. You know, TJ, me, me too. And and then that same. And thanks for the call. That that policy of don't shoot until you're, or don't fire until you're fired upon. It shouldn't be in war, and it sure as heck should not be in civilian society. In our, in our regular society, you cannot ask cops to not fire until they're fired upon. And you just heard the story. They are going to judge cops on the, quote, necessity of their firing rather than the reasonableness of their firing, which is what the old standard used to be. Cops are going to hesitate. Cops are going to freeze. Cops are going to get shot. The other possible alternative, cops are going to quit. Cops are going to quit. Who's going to want to work a police job in L.A. or San Francisco or San Diego or Oakland? Who's going to want to work in any of those places under those circumstances? Cops are going to quit. They're going to find new lines of work. They're going to move to other states where they can actually be cops. Jan in Greater Cleveland next. Hi, Jan. Go ahead. Hi, Comrade France. No, a local <laughs> policing. A local policing is out. It's going to. It's, we're going to have an international police force and. Uh, the decisions will be made by the UN or some world organization. I, I just see, I just continuously see a pattern of what they're trying to do to destroy, bankrupt, and just turn this country upside down. And uh, just keep praying, folks. Yeah, well, That's all I we have, have to, to say. And thank you, Jan. We we really do have to do that. Uh, there's no question about it. We have to pray, but we also have to act. I mean, again, I know California's a lost cause. It is California. Um, but the rest of us in other states, you better be paying attention to any signals you're getting from your local city council representatives, your local mayors, our state of Ohio reps and senators. Make sure nobody is going to be passing ridiculous laws like this that will inhibit the ability of cops to be cops protecting and serving like they are out there. You have to be very aware of this. And if you see any of that stuff hinted, you make sure they know they are going and make it happen to vote them out of office. Thanks for the call, Jan. It's 10 o'clock. Peter Kirsten now joins us after the news on AM4. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.